Hey everyone, just want to give some quick clarifications before the episode starts. First off, sorry for the delay in getting this out. It was a very long episode, and much like some other previous ones, I decided to split it into two halves to get them out faster. Combine that with a lot of recent real-life commitments and Thanksgiving break, traveling to visit family has many additional delay in editing things, so thank you for your patience. Second... Uh, I'll just admit up front, we had a record number of technical issues on this recording. So far, I've been able to edit a lot of them out, but others you might notice, like when on my end, one side of the stereo track gets louder than the other, uh, I'm not sure how to fix that, but I did at least try and make them less loud compared to the rest of the track. Anyway, please enjoy this episode, including me and Tyrone's thoughts on Thor Ragnarok, and our thoughts on the original three X-Men movies. Episode 2 will contain the remaining spin-offs and prequel movies. Now I'll cut the chase and get straight to what you came for. Then the case of a lot of the, of the oh, movies. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh. That wasn't nice. It's not cracked or anything, is it? We, uh, experience that now. Better, yeah, it is better that now. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 21 of Sketch Watch Play. I am John Fleury. And I'm Tyrone Selby. Yep, another returning guest and there's a good kind of irony in the fact that our first two guests to fill in Chris's shoes, Chris's, Chris's shoes are my brother and now Chris's brother. Woo-woo. Yep, yep, it's a little interfamily tradition. And actually for those who missed it, you are actually a returning guest. Uh, you joined us for... Uh, I can't remember what episode number it was, but it was our Transformers cartoon retrospective. We talked every cartoon uh, from Beast Wars onward. And, yes, uh, Transformers Prime, Beast Wars, Beast Machines, ugh. And some lesser stuff. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we like universally agree that Prime and Beast Wars were the highlights, uh, and then there were some that we were mad about, and one or two we were very down about, but it was a fun It was fun discussing all of them, really. And you, you've picked uh, another kind of behemoth of a franchise to talk about in terms of something iconic in one particular medium uh but we'll be getting to that first off yes um especially for those who didn't again who didn't hear that episode everyone tell us a little bit about yourself and like your own personal uh interests and projects oh so about me i am a comic book writer coming from the industry of filmmaking and film festival directing so i actually had my own film festival, Soul For Real Film Festival, which is actually still running. Nice. And actually in a couple weeks, uh, we'll be opening uh, submissions, early bird submissions. So if you're a filmmaker out there, take a look at Soul For Real. That's S-O-U-L, as in the person's soul. The number four and real as in a film reel. Yeah. Does soul it have a, re- a theme to it, like shorts or genres, or is it kind of a submit whatever you want? It is a shorts film festival, so anything um, under an hour. Okay. And the theme is relationships. And that you can take that umbrella as far as you want to take it. As long as there's some tie to that one word concept. Some, Some kind of relationship to something, somewhere, or someone. And we have gotten some. I remember when I was co-directing Soul For Real Film Festival, we've gotten some amazing takes on relationships, Mm -hmm. past relationships, relationships with 
you know, a child and his imaginary friend. Yeah, like uh, not just romantic relationships. But just no, those not at all. Out. Just as long as you can clearly see and define a relationship. Yeah, as you said, it's as far as you want to. Yeah. That's very cool. Is there a uh, site or social media page people can look up more about the uh, Film Fest? Absolutely. You can find Soul For Real Film Festival on Twitter and Facebook just by searching Soul For Real Film Festival. Yep, the way you spelled it. Yep. And uh, also the director's website is rockabyeent.com. ENT is standing for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the film festival side, uh, which I haven't touched for in quite a while because I've been focusing on my own projects now. So for the first part of my career, I was curating uh, projects. Now I'm starting to create my own projects. So I have my comic book, Elements of Light, I'm working on issue three. Uh, yep. Which is super exciting. <laughs> yeah, I and I will say I said before I've looked a little bit of it. Uh, the artwork is gorgeous. So it props, is, props there. It is props to Krishna and Balram Banerjee, uh, twin brothers out in India. They do fantastic work. Um, and are you the to, like the head writer for it? I am. I am the writer and creator of Elements of Light. Nice. Um, also co-written by uh, first cup first issue. And a half was co-written by my brother Christopher Wade, who was also your host for a long time. Your the host of the show for, probably know of Chris, and that's right. Yes, early next year you'll be hearing him again. Yeah. So for those who don't know, again, that is my older brother and uh, my executive producer, and we are also in the works of creating our first animated short film, The Will of Monsters. Oh, yeah, which uh, I recommend people go back and listen to, I believe it was either episode 13 or – no, probably 14, uh, where me and Chris talked our own like personal and passion projects. And uh, the animatic for Will of Monsters is already uh, on Vimeo, and we've linked to it in the past in show descriptions. I'll include it here still. Uh, but he's, he's going to be looking into uh, pr- producing uh, more advanced, like at least visually, versions of it, possibly through mm-hmm. crowdfunding. And I'm mm-hmm. very excited to see what he does with it. I can't remember if the animatic is still live at the current moment. I'll have to double check with him on that because I do know that uh, we possibly took it down so that we can start reworking the script and start getting into the final productions of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I I can't remember. It could still be live. I just can't remember. I'll double check before I link to it. Earlier this year, yeah. Um, And so anything else you'd like to plug before we start talking about our our main things? Uh, the only thing is, uh, I have since creating elements of light, I've been back into the comic convention circuit and mm-hmm. I do have to give a shout out to all-star comic-con, which will be in the Northern Virginia area coming August of 2018. And nice. I will definitely be there, uh, for that plus some other ones, but that is going to be like my main, my main con. Cool. And I did want to um, – oh, yeah. No, I remember. You were – I saw – I wasn't able to attend to it. You recently did a panel at another expo. Was it Small Press? Uh, no, it was not. Um, it was at a different convention, and um, I did do a – I did two different events at that convention. It was a local local writers panel uh, with Chris Schwartzlander and Johnny Lupsha. We are all three – 
all three of us are writers hailing from Virginia, and we all actually have our books in the local comic shop, Comic Logic, in Ashburn, Virginia. So we mm-hmm. did a local uh, local writers panel, and then I also did my own workshop on writing and creating interesting characters in comic books and film, um, which was extremely well received. They are making me; all of the attendees are making me do it again. Plus, they want to want me to do another one. Yeah. So for All Star Comic Con, I am redoing writing interesting characters for comic books and film and also world building for comic books and film. Yeah. And I'm just trying to uh, refresh my memory. What was this convention called? The one you just did again? Uh, NovaCon. No, that's correct. I think I wanted to attend, but other commitments were in the way at the time. I was especially bummed when I saw you were doing panels. I was like, oh, I got to see that. But there'll be be more opportunities like that based on what you just said. All-Star Comic Con is the, the new thing. So... Definitely look for All-Star Comic-Con in August. I will. But are you ready to move on to our opening talk? Um, Let's do it. All right. So I think it's uh, – well, yeah, the two of us have seen a little movie, not not kind of flew under the radar for most. It is an interesting little art house film called Thor Ragnarok. Hello, the goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, it's true. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it, it maybe you've heard of it. It's very underground. Yeah, it, it, it's gained some traction, though. You know, those yeah. who know about it are spreading the word a bit. Uh, but in all seriousness, and I will say, much like we've done, we've we've opened some episodes by talking about current superhero movies, including, uh, I believe, Spider-Man Homecoming and Wonder Woman. So I mm-hmm. will say spoilers abound for when we what we get into. So I'd recommend, since we always add timestamps in the show description, if you haven't seen Ragnarok but are planning to, just skip to our main topic. But um, yep. what, so overall, what did you think of Ragnarok? And what did you, how would you compare it to the, your thoughts on the previous Thor films? Okay, so that was actually two questions, which I want to pay close attention to how I answer them, because... <laughs> Maybe so, I should answer them in the reverse order, actually. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly why I said that. And so I actually loved the movie. I loved Thor Ragnarok. I do know that you know a lot of people out there are very opinionated about the difference in feel and humor and style for yeah absolutely but so my position is this as a person who came from as i just mentioned uh as a person who came from film and film festivals i always see each film as a standalone even though there might be backstory that came from another movie each movie is standalone there's no telling you know, if it's the same director, if it's the same actors, if it's the same musicians, if it's the same writers, if it's, you know, sometimes it's a whole completely new cast or a whole different new film crew filming in a new location. You, And it's a new time. You know, when when was it that Thor Dark World came out? That was what? Like three or four years ago. Three, four years ago. That it's was a while. different time. So... You know, now with, you know, a, a lot of things that are said about what I can tell about Thor Ragnarok is that, you know, oh, it's trying to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, guess what? Guardian of the Galaxy is now like we're in a new 
superhero film era where everything is bright and colorful and funny and you know it's whimsical yeah no, versus- this actually does tie into um a direction the marvel cinematic universe at least is consciously taking and they've confirmed that it's going to be continued that way which is i think i've heard friends determine as cosmic marvel where it's mm-hmm. like more about getting on off earth and really delving into this greater universe and the crazier stuff it brings with it that they start they toyed with in thor and then really committed to in guardians absolutely and, and you with- can actually we actually i think it's pretty clear even uh the next two avengers are going to be going that direction with all the aliens involved and stuff Absolutely. Absolutely. With you, everyone knows that the Infinity War is coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with all of these different tie ins with, you know, Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy, all of these off world story plots, we have to take it there. We have have to prepare audiences for that. Correct. We have to prepare it. It can't just be culture shock. Yeah, with, because it's still it's still, it's still my technical use to seeing like uh, Iron Man and Captain America there, but they've been building up to it, at least getting us acquainted with this style through other franchises. Absolutely. And, you know, so I thought it was a great, great movie. I will say for me, there was a little bit too much of the garbage world. Oh, the the the, the Grandmaster's world? Yeah, like to me that was mm-hmm. that dragged on a little bit too much, that, and I would've... yeah, that actually I I did want to bring up my thoughts on the movie a little bit. Um, not to sound selfish, but uh, I will say I like the first third quite a bit, and I actually rewatched it recently uh, with my grandma, and mm-hmm. I liked it more than I remembered it. It's a solid little story, um, just not as flashy as a lot of stuff came afterwards. Dark World I think is not awful, but it's one of the weakest MCU films overall. It has very little of a spark to it. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like progresses forward, forward that much, uh, especially because I really noticed yeah, my biggest problem with Ragnarok, even though I really like it, is that it kind of feels like two different films at, at points. Like the opening and closing acts are genuinely continuing the main Thor and Asgard story. And right. the middle stuff might as well be a different movie that Thor happens to get himself involved in. To me, that was exactly the point. And, you know, it 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 was just... It was a little I understand exactly what why it needed to be there. However, it was a little bit too much of it. I think they could have gone about a different way of better integrating the two. Um, yeah. Especially I, because I would have loved stuff. to see I would have loved to see more of a little bit of the backstory of Valkyrie. Like she only yeah. got about five minutes worth of backstory. I, I would have loved to know about... about how she survived Hela and then ended up. In yeah. This place. Uh, also, a little confused about how even Hulk ended up there because last I saw, he was on our Earth, and I don't know if that jet was built for space. Oh right, I was about to say that they did acknowledge that. However, they didn't truly delve into it. No, and I was fine with it. I yeah, was no, like, did ruin it. Whatever. Right. He's here. It's fine. <laughs> I also. Uh, oh, go ahead. You first. Go ahead. Okay. Um. No. I. Uh, so just the interesting thing about this is in talking about how the stuff that's more t- closely tied to the existing. This movie is the beginning of it and the ending of it are for all intents and purposes a soft reboot of Thor because they devote the first third to be like, uh, we're killing off most of the characters you already know that aren't Thor and Loki. Like. Right. I was shocked when, like, oh, Odin, gone. Those uh, warrior buddies, dead. 
Uh, right. And, the, and at the end, Asgard incinerated. It's just um, you know by the way this ends, and the fact that that Mar- there's been saying like in general, Infinity War and Avengers Four are going to are going to affect the entire setting of the Marvel universe. Like if we get a Thor Four, it's it's going to be more like this, and has left shed it shed its former like style and identity, which is kind of bold. I could see that being a little off putting for people who liked uh, either the first two. Right. But um, thankfully, what they do now is really charming. I I thought it was super charming. Um, you know, <laughs> I had a conversation with a friend about Thor Ragnarok and how people are giving it flack and, you know, no one's happy about movies anymore because, my, it's not the same. And I'm like, of course it's not the same. That's why it's different. I think a lot of people so- are happy with this. They just, just have some issues with it like the two of us do. Like, oh my I, gosh, I will say – dare you laugh. I will – oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I saw the Rotten Tomatoes summary where it's like, maybe the best MCU movie. Like, no, no, no. It's really good. No, but, I, can't. I mean, I'd honestly it, it, place it, it on par with the first war, but for entirely different reasons because they're such different movies. Like, the first one, I think, tells a more cohesive story, um, but this right. new one is more imaginative and funny, and so they each have different strengths compared to the other. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it's very whimsical. It's very off-world. I don't even – we t- we left Earth within 15 minutes of the movie and never came back. Yeah, that's fine. And people's, you know, generally, the, generally people's least favorite parts of Thor were the Earth parts before. But now we're complaining because oh, it's too bright and it's too funny and blah 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 blah. I'm like, okay, pick a thing and stay with the thing, please. Like either yeah. want dark and brooding Earth. Or you want whimsical and colorful space? I'm generally fine with the new whimsical stuff. I think just my main issue is just just how much they threw away of the existing mythos. It was a little jarring to just see all these characters dying and just a, a, a clear sense of fuck everything that happened before that doesn't involve Thor and Loki. And I guess Heimdall. Yeah, that he was, was still, that he was, was still my America. thing. It was, it was you know I didn't quite get enough of Hela. Yeah, I liked her, too. Um, I loved Hela. Like, I loved her. And then I never – they never explained the giant wolf. Oh, that's probably just a thing. Like, there's a nod to comic fans. Like, that was her old steed sure. or something. But since it it played enough of a big of a – it played a big enough of a role where I kind of wanted that backstory. yeah. I, I, that I, that actually was not an issue for me because we've seen so much Atlanta stuff at this point that you can just buy like this is her most powerful beast and it's a giant wolf. We just had we just had two movies with the talking raccoon. I feel like something like this is well. We how are the duckers in this universe walking around in space? I can deal with a giant wolf that still acts like a trained wolf. Right, and it and it was to me, it was more so because well, why does she love this wolf so much? Like. I'm guessing it was tied to her her original history with Odin. Like, right. he was like her main mount, so that's why. And she's I still... just things like that. I want those little bits of information. Yeah, what surprised I, me I, I... is because I've been wondering. Some people, some people have been theorizing about with Thanos for a while. Is in the comics, his main motivation behind all the Infinity stuff was to impress Death, like. The personification of Death of the Grim Reaper was this woman in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been no indication that, that there's going to be anything like that in these movies. But when they were building up Hela as the goddess of death, I was like, right. maybe they're going to keep her alive and she is going to be 
hooking up with Than or something, at the end, no, she is very, very dead. Though, to be fair, yeah. this movie touches on, like, basically necromancy, so I guess they could still do something. Well, I don't know. We never actually saw her die. We didn't see disintegration, so maybe they, yeah, maybe that's a way of being living a little bit. I guess they could still do it, but I guess that was, they had to show in some way that she, her threat was extinguished because Asgard was, like, disintegrated and she was left there, so maybe they can find, like, someone can find a way to revive her. Like, I guess they're leaving some avenues right. open, but for all intents and purposes with this story, she is no longer a threat. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I've i actually seen some people complaining about her. I, I would not. I think she was a kind of over the top in a different way than someone like Loki. Uh, just someone very relishing in in because just how, how OP she is, really. Like, nobody can stand a chance against her in this movie. And Thor has to rely on, you know, Ragnarok to do it. Um, by the way, right. I found out. I don't remember the name of the big demon who was at the beginning and the end that caused Ragnarok. But I found out he was voiced by Clancy Brown, which warmed my heart. Oh, nice. Yeah, not many people know who that is, but uh, Lex Luthor from the 90s cartoons, uh, Head Garden Shawshank Redemption, and Mr. Krabs. That's the odd one. Oh, and the original it, voice of the villain in Crash Bandicoot. But there's some other stuff. Like, I think this is this actually showed a little growth for Loki towards the end. Oh, Absolutely. I really expected the end when he was talking to Thorwin last time. Like, Thor even throws the thing at him, like, oh, yeah, you're a hologram. You didn't stick with us. And then he catches it. Like, no. I and- liked that I Loki wasn't just a, a person to ship anymore. I cared about him now. Well, for some people, he's always going to be that. That's fine. But now I can care about him. <laughs> yeah. You get the sense he is starting to have a little bit of a turnaround to more of an antihero than a villain. I, I I get more of a personality. I get more of a history. I I'm I'm invested in Loki now, and it's not like oh Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually curious to see how like what he and also Nebula are going to be going through in Avengers three and four. Uh, right. Because but because Loki because of his shaky history of allegiance, Nebula because of her ties and vendetta with Thanos. Also, have you ever read the original Infinity comics? I actually have not, so I, I am through along the, other for the ride. Day, uh, something I'm wondering if they'll try approaching in, in maybe Avengers Four is that towards the end, Nebula grabs the gauntlet and and overtakes Thanos as the main villain. Uh, I see. Kind of wondering if they'll go in that direction for her, but it's you know, you know they're keeping that hush hush, obviously. Also, maybe the best role for the Hulk so far, at least since the first Avengers. I'm curious. One thing that I'm I'm very intrigued on is since Thor doesn't have the hammer... Yep, now he's got the the thunder and lightning within himself. Yeah. Are, is he going to fight the Infinity War without the hammer? Yeah, he's going to have to. He doesn't, the, the end of the movie established in his, not really a lesson, but a revelation Thor experiences himself, is he finds out Molnir wasn't the source of the power, it was a conduit. Right, which is what Odin's like ghost or vision reveals to him, and that unleashes his inner inner power. So he's, for all I know, he'll be shooting thunder and lightning himself in Infinity War, and they confirmed he'll have the eye patch too. That was a nice thing to keep secret. Um, I do like that. I yeah, do like in the, the trailers they edited that out. However, my my feel is sure, Thor can use his lightning whenever he wants to now, um, but. The hammer is also its own weapon. Not anymore. And now Thor, now Thor has to learn how to fight 
without his hammer. That might be something that's touched on the next two movies. Now, here's here's my here's my thing, okay? And this is complete Tyrone loophole fanfic writing, whatever you want to call it. Someone just needs to go back to the Netherlands, pick up the damn pieces and glue the shit back together. Fix it with glue. That's right. <laughs> like it's still sitting there on the, I mean, the edge of the cliff. If it's like gorilla glue or something, then maybe. It's still there. Could be, yeah. It's not like it's cosmic dust. It, it the is, pieces are still there. Yeah, I, I am gonna miss it because it's just such an iconic thing. Yeah, um, and that was that was my thing. Is like, okay, you, we have. I don't think we've ever seen, to my knowledge, okay, for all of the people out there that read Thor religiously. Please don't attack me, but I personally have never seen Thor without a hammer. You might have to get used to it. Like I said, this is throwing away a lot of the, what the established things about Thor, including like at the end. Like I do believe I read there that in the comics at some points when they need to migrate the Asgardians, they found a place on Earth, um, and that could be something that happens post, you know, Thanos. Uh, right. We'll have to see. Someone finds the. The hammer pieces. Or like one of the planets from Guardians. Who knows? Right. I mean, right. you end the movie with him with, you know, basically Earth it is. Uh, right. But, you know, for all we know, that could be a red herring. And obviously um, you saw the post, first post-credits thing with that big ship. Yeah. Which uh, people – did you see the leaked Infinity War trailer first a few months back? Yes. Where I guess small spoiler for Infinity War, one of the first things is that Thor is drifting unconscious in space and crashes onto the Guardian's windshield and meets up with them and has to fill them in what's going on. So I'm guessing maybe – oh, that's what, that's what makes me all think of Thanos is that they there are hints that uh, Loki took the Tesseract with him before uh, Asgard was destroyed. Right. We don't see him pick it up when he's running through the hall collecting some stuff. He glances up a little bit and it's like, yeah, I doubt he would leave that behind. So maybe Thanos was able to track it down. And right. that's his reasoning, though hopefully he doesn't kill all the Asgardians, especially Korg. Uh, we haven't even brought up Korg, who is a real show stealer, I thought. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you, remember, do you remember who Korg was, the big rock guy? Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. I'm back now. Yeah, Korg was awesome. I loved him. He was so good. He looks like the thing, but he's got this mom. Apparently he's, like he's, vo- a, he's like a scrawny teenage version of the thing. He's voiced by the director. Um, oh, I did was, not know that. Was from New Zealand, he kind of sounds like Charlton Copley. I thought, like, have you ever seen District yeah. Nine? It kind yep. of makes kind of same accent. So hello, buddy. Yep. Um, but yeah, he's like he for a big warrior. He's also just kind of a very kind of slightly dumb sweetheart. But just man, I laugh so hard when like Loki ends a hologram and he just runs in, piss off, ghost. Yes. <laughs> um, and the fact that he keeps having back and forth, the guy, that little lady doesn't even really talk. And at the end, oh, Meek's been dead this whole time. I've just been carrying around because I feel guilty for stepping on him. Oh, hey, you're alive. Look at that, everybody. Right. I, I loved him. He was, he was really great. He, he really started. Um, I think that was the point where Thor Ragnarok started to bring a charm. Yes. No, I think once they got all. Once they finished all the tying up loose ends of, of the previous movie and got to the – like we talked about how disconnected the prison planet is. Right. That's where the charm and humor and real spectacle and fun really kicked in. Absolutely. Uh, and I, 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 we, I mentioned a little bit of it. Just, I really like the, the approach they take with Hulk too. This is a movie – this is that movie that's more Hulk than Bruce Banner. 
Yes. Uh, it's kind of nice like, that now he can talk, too, because he's been in Hulk form for two years, so he's finally able to go. Yeah. And yeah, you, I, you find I out mean, why. It's actually it was, sad, it was, where, because um, he touches on, people hate and fear me on Earth. Here, I'm a celebrity. I don't want to go back to Earth. Right. Yeah. And it, it kind of, uh, I was, again, I was talking to a friend, and, you know, he felt that, oh, you know, Thor Ragnarok kind of ruined the idea of a planet Planet Hulk yeah, movie. And I'm like, do that for a while. I don't know if they will. We're we're not I'm sorry. I don't think we will ever get a Hulk movie. Do you know the reason why they haven't done another solo Hulk movie? I do not know the official reason. The official I can give you my own is theory. That Universal still owns partial film rights, because they're the one who did the Ang Lee version, and I think oh. they helped co-distribute the Ed Norton one. So basically, it's kind of a Spider-Man situation where like they're okay with right. their, with Marvel using him as a supporting character, but to do another solo flick would require going through a lot more red tape. Right. So okay, that's so reason. more legal matters, and you know, yes. my yes, thing less is they, less that they don't want to, and more that it's just more, it might be more trouble than it's worth. My thing is, I don't really think that Hulk has enough of a story plot to actually have an interesting, yeah. worthwhile Maybe. Hulk I mean, movie. The thing is, uh, the Ed Norton, The Incredible Hulk, that is my least favorite MCU movie by a mile. That is the only one I straight up dislike, and it was a very boring story, and he was a boring character. But what makes me think that I kind of want to see it again is that Mark Ruffalo brought a lot more to to both characters, even. Um, sure, he made Absolutely. Bran are a little more quirky and good-hearted, and Hulk was like because he actually I've read he does the mocap and voice for Hulk, which the other actors mm-hmm. had not done. Um, so he's still putting himself into the role, and you get a lot of good fun. I love the fact that him turning back into Banner for the first time in years is essentially him waking up from a two-year hangover. Yeah, absolutely. That was genius. The worst deployment on so much. It begs the question, you know. He's been Hulk for quote unquote two years or yes. however long he's been Hulk. But the I think Hulk they touch was on happy. the fact that time flows faster in the Taskmaster's realm. Uh, right. So. Right. But the Hulk was happy. Yes, that's what I'm saying. He found a place where he so, was accepted and cherished. So why was he still Hulk if he only turns into Hulk when he's angry, but the Hulk was happy? You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like uh, that uh-huh. is kind of catch twenty two. Maybe it's because oh, if he had a mental reason where he wanted to stay the Hulk, not just because mm-hmm. of anger. So that's that's my main guess. I don't know, but you know, there's this kind of an interesting question to ask. You know, it's like I know people took issue in the first Avengers when there's the part I'm always angry, where basically you find out he become Hulk at will. He just doesn't want to right. actually. Um, and now, and I even touched on the fact at this point that now, like his body is growing so used to the Hulk personality that. If it happens again, he doesn't know how long it'll be before or if ever you see Banner again. And since he stays Hulk for the last 20 minutes, I'm kind of wondering if we'll see very little Bruce Banner in, in the next Avengers. Yeah. Though, actually, you know what? Just show him just show him Black Widow because that's what did the trick in this. <laughs> but she probably won't be able to be with him 24-7. So um, so anything else do you want to touch on with Ragnarok? Because I do have other, one other thing. Uh... I do love that they're creating a Thor team. A new with, Thor team, yeah. Yeah, like they've got these quote-unquote Revengers with Valkyrie and I always forget the character's name, but Idris Alba. Yes. I was hoping like, he still have a bigger role at this point because now Idris Alba is huge. And granted, it's more hands-on, but no, nothing huge quite yet. Though at least it was a different kind of character in terms of his 
actions. In the yeah, movie. and I think it was just more of a that role. Yeah, it, it wasn't as involved because of the story plot that it took. There's already so much going on too. Yeah, they might have yeah. known it, it would get too crammed. He tried to give him his whole own arc. Uh, though the idea that he's kind of a savior of Asgard until the others show up, I still think that's kind of cool. Um, right. Because it's, I mean, it's better than the first two. I think even Andrew Taylor complained, like, I'm basically a doorman in those first two movies. Right. And that, to be fair, that was actually – the first Thor was where I first heard of him because I still have not seen his TV stuff. Uh, but now he's in another movie every couple months, so maybe they can find a way someday to expand on him because I like Idris Elba in general. Um, oh, the, I've – Always loved Idris Alba as an actor. Yeah, I I'm gonna pull a Chris here. I'm a straight man, but that is he is he is quite a hunk. He is especially a, with, especially with his natural if, accent. If he oh my gosh, that is such a charming. charming you, you saw Zootopia, accent. right? I'm sorry. You saw Zootopia, right? Yes, because he's he's in that as a police chief doing his natural accent, and I just yep. keep him here in my mind where he's going one teensy little otter. Yes, if uh, you've ever seen The Office, there's a point where is he uh, in the British Office? He, no, he he's actually. So what happened was there's a point where Steve Carell uh, leaves the office. Oh, he was as one the, of the new manager. bosses they tried. He was one of the new bosses, and all of the women in the office swoon over him. And he looks at the camera, and goes, "I know my effect on women." That's, that's and I was like, "God that, damn it, Idris Elba!" That's just meta. That's Idris Elba just breaking character. Yeah, he was like movie he with him turned, and Kate Winslet. That's all about them struggling to survive, and then just wind the bone because it's Idris Elba yeah. and Kate Winslet. I was like, he. They made, they wrote Idris Alba with a new name, but he's still being Idris Alba, which was fantastic. I really, I really need to watch Luther actually, because that's what, that's where most people first heard of him. I've heard he's great in it. Um, yep. But that, the main thing I want to talk about, the, the last thing, I can't believe we haven't mentioned Jeff Goldblum at all, because I loved him in this. I am impartial to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, he well, he's a weird guy. His general persona, the way weird. he talks, like I, most impersonation impressions of Jeff Goldblum usually start with because uh, 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 you watch Jurassic Park and like I, I think of Jurassic Park, Independence Day, and especially The Fly. Uh, Independence think, Day is I fun, think, and the other two I like legit love. I think my issue was this was the most whimsical. And I keep throwing that word around, but this is the most color I've seen thrown on this actor. And it was a little off-putting because I've seen him in Jurassic Park yeah. and I've seen him in Independence Day. Yeah. Well, and now he's not as much in this gold in the fly, but that's different. Guys. Yeah, it was it was just so different. And I don't know, I, I, it was kind of jarring a little bit. No, oh, no, he was still – you could still tell who very much – to get his mannerisms, but I think what it was really fun about him was that he was less. Malicious. No, it was a, you got the feeling he did not want to admit he was malicious because one of his opening right. scenes is him like melting guy, and then to be like, okay, clean that up. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. lines is, I guess his second man is talking about like the slaves as the employees, like, no, 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 don't use the s word. They're prisoners with jobs. That's right. And of course, the after credit scene where he's still trying to play off like, uh, hey, it's the revolution. Hey, well, they call it a jaw. That's the last line. It, good yeah. news. It's a draw. And um, That's great. I hope we see him again because we, we probably know they haven't killed him. So it would be fun to have him right. a little cameo. I mean I doubt he'll be in a position of a, a significant role with power again. But 
it, I think it's fun to have, like, some of the best Marvel villains, because people, I can often note, like, their villains will be very hit or miss in MCU, but some of the most fun ones are those who are very more over the top and relishing that kind of thing, which both he and Hela fell into, and uh, right. also Loki as well, um, maybe not so much in the first Thor, but everything since. Yes. In the fourth Thor, he's, he's kind of tragic, you actually feel a little bad for him, but by Avengers, he's just a malicious... He's a little bitch, kind of. Um, yeah, and they've absolutely. been and Tom Hiddleston has been the uh, writers have been running that in really good ways. Uh, just it's it just it's his interactions with Thor in this. Um, I think the biggest laugh my audience got to the point where we missed the, whatever joke was afterward was when Thor's talking about when we were kids. He would he was guys himself as a snake, and the, you know because he knew I liked snakes. And then I would walk right. up, he would turn back and go, "Blood, it's me." <laughs> just um i think i think my biggest laughing point and it was so on the nose but i just loved it was when thor got just as smashed as loki did in avengers oh all of loki's reactions to the hulk that was, loki's reaction was just perfect because yeah well timed his first encounter with hulk is maybe is i think it's maybe the funniest joke in any of the movies and this was the perfect way to follow up on it where he's just like oh shit right and then when hulk is clapping he stands up like yeah that's what it feels like now you know yes it was it was such a a soul satisfying moment especially for loki fan girls i'll bet right and and boys you know for the first time i actually rooted for loki like it was like yes, take that. <laughs> yeah, 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 the whole the whole fight scene is a mixture of. I love that that he keeps trying to replicate uh, Black Widow's calming thing. Like the sun is setting, the sun is setting. So rarely does it does it work. Oh <laughs> like, right, hey, you're not right. you're not Scarjo Thor. Um, also, oh, also, did you catch the cameos at the beginning when they were doing the play? Yes, my audience I did. freaked out. And that was like, great. The obvious one was Matt Damon as Loki. Uh, I didn't catch the rest. Apparently, Sam Neill was uh, Odin, which mm-hmm. I think is a, just an, an – like he cast – the director did uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, and apparently some of the actors in this, the small roles, were people like that, Sam Neill. That woman who was the second in command to uh, Toyin Master was in one of his last movies, so it was kind of just him bringing back old friends. And I did read – apparently Liam Hemsworth was Thor in the play, which is just so meta, and I'll have to bring that up to my mom because she's a huge Hunger Games fan, which he was in. And uh, but yeah, I think even though we touched on the some of the issues we do have with it, like I don't think it's like one of the very best of the MCU movies. But I think it was I had a great time with it, especially once you hit the main once once they got the foundation on the way, it ran with what the rest of the plot was going to be. Uh, oh, also best way to throw up like totally botch your heroic speech when Thor throws that ball to try and break the window. And just yeah. smashes back into his face. And that was great. That was awesome. Just stuff catching you like that off guard. I'm actually going to bring up something like that in our last in our last movie in uh, our main talk. Though it's less comedic and more of an oh shit moment. But are you ready to move on to uh, our the big franchise talk? I am. All right. First, uh, of course, I am going to pause and save what we have so far. I'm also going to get some more water and use the bathroom. I'm Professor Charles Xavier. I built this school where mutants could learn to focus their powers in a positive way and also learn that mankind was not evil, just uninformed. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty appropriate that our opening was uh, a movie from Marvel's own sprawling universe because we're about to discuss another movie franchise that, for obvious legal reasons, is not directly tied to that Marvel universe but is still now its own universe Sp- spawned originally by Marvel, and that is 
how many movies do they have in it now? But it is the Fox theatrical X-Men movie series. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, I think this is a very important series for superhero films because I'd say I credit it with both it and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy with initially revitalizing the superhero genre uh, after kind of a little bit of a dead period. Stuff like, for people who, who either didn't pay attention or were too young to remember this, the superhero genre was pretty big from the late 80s to uh, late 90s, thanks due in part mainly to the Tim Burton Batman. But towards the end, mistakes were made. Uh, you started getting stuff like Batman, Robin, and Steel, and stuff like that. And people lost interest. And then a few years after that, we got Fox had, I think I even read the reason why, you know, different Marvel properties ended up in different studios because they were in a financial crisis and decided to make some of that money back by finally selling the movie rights, which is how you got, um, you know, Sony bought Spider-Man and still owns a big part of it. Uh, Fox bought... X-Men, its spinoffs, including Deadpool, obviously, and Fantastic Four, which uh, they've had less luck with, but they keep trying. And I think there are a few others. Like, oh, we talked like we talked about Universal still has a stake in Hulk movies, uh, and there might be some others that I'm forgetting. So in 2000, they finally – like, I actually – I've brought it up before. I actually don't really read superhero comics, and it's not because I dislike them. I – actually just read – I had bought a compilation of a recent Rocket Raccoon miniseries, and I had a blast mm-hmm. with it. Um, I think it's called, like, Chasing a Tail or something where uh, it's basically about uh, – if you look it up, it's about him discovering the signs there might be another talking raccoon. <laughs> and it's up about all his, like, dozens of ex-girlfriends teaming up to kill him because it's Rocket, of course. And uh, right. no, really my main reason for not getting to do superhero comics is because just because of how long they've been going and how many different offshoots there are. It is a huge time and money investment if you really want to catch yourself up on the years and decades of back material. So for me, I'll settle with movies and other stuff like TV shows, cartoons, and video games. I do love a lot of these franchises, but I have to enjoy them in different forms for the most part. And, and Tyrone, I might as well ask, do you have any um, experience with prior X-Men media, like comics, cartoons? So I actually grew up on the 1990s X-Men cartoon series. Yes. That is, a very, uh, so that's that is very what actually one. brought me into the entire comic book superhero realm was the 1992 X-Men. Yeah, that was a very big deal. I actually remember, I think, doing part of that. I feel like X-Men was their most prolific franchise of the 90s for Marvel. Like even Absolutely. When, that- that I was like didn't watch that front. one either because that was also – that was a very – that also had kind of much of an ongoing plot. Uh, I did watch the, a lot of the Spider-Man cartoon though because that was more broken up into little arcs than one ongoing story. Absolutely, I, yeah. I think it actually crossed – they crossed those shows over. Like the X-Men showed up in Spider-Man with the same designs and actors, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, along with some others, like I think Daredevil was an episode even though we didn't get a show. I, oh, and I will say my main exposure to X-Men before this, me and my brother did watch a fair bit of the second – the follow-up cartoon X-Men Evolution, which was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I know since then they've done Wolverine the X-Men, which I've heard good things about, and anime movie, like series that I've heard mixed things about, and uh, I think that might be it in terms of X-Men-centric cartoons. Uh, also, there have been a lot of games and such, too. I remember one people recommended where Wolverine – I think it was a, a technically tied Wolverine into the Wolverine and the X-Men. Uh, no, no. I'm talking about the X-Men video games. Uh, people loved – I know people loved that retro Konami beat-em-up. Uh, that was a fun, you know – 
kind of the same vein as their Ninja Turtles stuff. There've been a lot of games on like the Genesis and other stuff. I know people like those those the X Men Legend games, which are like action RPGs. Uh, right. I know there was one game that people recommended. It was technically tied to one of the Wolverine movies, but it was kind of its own uh, M rated glory th- gory thing. With, where and also they got Mark Hamill to voice uh, Logan, which I would like to hear. Um, but really, and I actually, I wonder about, you know, if the cartoon's success and, you know, and the fact that it probably fueled the comic success made, uh, Fox take, well, you could see it as a gamble back then, like sinking a lot of money and stars into the first film. And obviously it has paid off for them in a big way because, uh, so I'm going right here. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, if you count Deadpool, we are up to 10, uh, released movies so far, uh, absolutely least three or four more in some form development and possibly three scheduled for next year. Wow. Um, yeah. And I will, I'm just going to, I'm going to kick things off by saying that like, there's been a lot of so many like articles and arguments about people hoping that Fox will either negotiate or give the rights back to Marvel and Disney so that they can be integrated to the MCU. And honestly, I kind of don't want them to do at this point because they've basically got their own universe going with so many different characters and spinoffs and potential side series. And for me, it also just as a logistical fact, you couldn't integrate this series into MCU at this point because in the MCU, mutants have never, ever been brought up. And that is the central conceit of this series, that it all boils down to the conflict the existence of mutant humans brings to society. Mm-hmm. And it's like such mm-hmm. generally the core theme of this series. And what makes it unique it is less a kind of generic, like, bad guy goods versus evil, and something I admire about this, and that I know has been delved in, it's one of the central themes of the source material as well, is the fact that this is a conflict that is a lot harder to figure out and just put into black and white terms. Uh, both sides have very good points to them, but also it's just a conflict with no easy answer, because the conceit is that we have started to see in humanity uh, the existence of mutants, where because the idea is that it also allows for a lot of creativity. Because it's not like every person who's born a mutant has the same power; it's unpredictable, and you get all sorts of. Uh, I'm sure the comics r- ran with this too, just all sorts of different powers and different types of people and what they use them for. Um, and that's what I love. I'm a. I want to yeah go ahead. go back to something you said uh, for a second. I agree and disagree on. Uh, Fox continuing to hold the rights to X-Men. Yeah, um, I do I do agree that it cannot take the current universe and story plot and just say in part into you all along. No. Yeah, if if Fox were to like go ahead and give their rights over, I do however wish that they would. <laughs> I I would um, I would be fine with it if they did one of two things, either a one-off movie where you have like a dimensional crossover He's good, you know, I mean, Doctor Strange already established that the multiverse concept is a thing in, in MCU. Right. And they're saying like there's an infinite number of universes and such. So you pretty much say, like, for one movie, some, like, some celestial person makes these two things intersect and, you know, conflict rises from that. Just a one-off awesome thing. Um, and I think, like, you know, Hugh Jackman, we'll get to. He said Logan's going to be his last one, but he would consider doing it again if 
Disney integrated it. Like I think he's all for that concept. My yep. only other my only other concept I would approve of is a total reboot. That would also have the disadvantage of throwing away everything that's been built up at this point. Though I will say that is definitely how I want them. I want Fantastic Four to go back to Marvel and get a reboot because that's a that's a concept perfectly suited for like starting fresh in this, and they are not handling it well. I would love for all of the Marvel entities to be under one house. Yeah, and I think I mean I feel like people extremely have said like he thinks it's inevitable that one day there will be that that kind of thing, especially because you're you've been hearing the rumblings about Disney considering buying Fox, and mm-hmm. uh, the Marvel rights are a big factor in that. And technically, that like, might not happen, but you know they're they're I think both sides are very aware of the uh, both the audience pleasing and the money, like how lucrative something like that would be. Yeah. See, um, I know that Fox won't give up their rights unless Disney buys them. Unless, just because unless they you know, get a big, big check for it. Right. Like, X-Men has made them a lot of money. Yeah, it's and still, so and I know, still able to get And hit, right hit, now hit they, they have their show, The Gifted, which seems to be doing okay. Yeah. But like I said, so, I, I'm still fine with it remaining its own thing for the time being because it is kind of its own universe at this point. Like, just X-Men right. alone and, you know, now they're touching into spin-off characters like Deadpool. Like, they've got their own little universe going on. And until it reaches the point where every movie is seen as terrible and no longer, pro- like, that much of a profit, then I'm fine okay with this. But actually, let's start yep. – so let's start diving into things. Um, let's go to the beginning. Yeah, because we, did, we did talk this a little before. And we're going to go in chronological order. And I will admit there are uh, – I had I was very late uh, getting to this series. I don't know why I never – I don't really remember why I didn't get around to them in theaters. I think I wasn't quite in – I wasn't quite as in love with superhero movies as I am now. Uh, so I skipped on that. I did see the Spider-Man movies in theaters and I enjoyed those. But I don't know. I guess I just – I was never that interested in X-Men before. Like I said, I watched a little bit of Evolution. I love the Spider-Man cartoons, so that probably helps. And there are a couple of movies that neither of us – I think there's one that neither of us haven't seen, and then there's a couple I haven't seen you'll have to fill me on. But, oh, yeah, let's go in chronological order and start with the original X-Men from 2000, which it's – I think I'll be saying this about a lot of them uh, – a very solid film and a good starting point to establish a lot of stuff. It is a solid film. It was the first – I think – I don't know this is fact, but this is how I remember it. I think this was the first superhero film of our time. In terms of kicking this... off that the, the wave that we're in now, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless – did Blade come first? See, I still kind of see Blade – I think Blade ran from the 90s into the 2000s, so it kind of like crossed the bridge. Yeah, and that was but I kind of its own thing. And some, right. It was connected. It was more I... R-rated and gritty. Right, so. right. It was kind of its own separate thing. It kind of crossed in between the 90s and the 2000s. And also, admit, I've I not kind seen of, the Blade movies. I want to watch the first two at some point. I kind of picture the old Batman movies, like Batman, Batman Forever, yeah, Batman yeah, well, and Robin. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Those, that was the boom, and then Batman Robin ended up contributing to that, that hiatus. Right. And so, you know, X-Men um, with the in the 2000-year mark, that was the first superhero movie of our generation and it kind of that caught on this was stuck. yeah it, it it stuck it wouldn't have stuck it if stu- there you can't say they there that there are 10 movies in it now if it didn't stick right um, and the fact that fans are willing to stick through because some of the movies we're going to talk about i know do not have good reputations but it's still been able to recover not that that's that can be hard for a franchise but yeah um yeah so talking about x-men like I think one thing I want to touch on is very effective first scene where you get Magneto's childhood in the Holocaust. 
Mm-hmm. Like I was not uh, prepared for that. Um, and it kind of touches on, I think, what of things that makes Magneto fascinating and what touches on the, the fact that it's a shade of gray is that both sides do have some valid points and some things that make it fit. Like neither cut and dry approach will have perfect results. Um, right. Because right. movies even touch on like just just how humanity in general, even be they civilians or be they people of authority, they greatly vary in what they think of mutants, how they respond to them. Like in this, you have um, I believe Senator Kelly, who is firmly like anti mutant rights and views them as right. like just because a lot of it falls in down to is like the problem is like that that higher ups have is that the problem with mutants and the abilities that it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like we said, we talked about how you, every power can be different. Like, who knows if we can get something? And then, then, yeah, in X three, we get a mutant who could very much be a walking apocalypse. And then X Men Apocalypse, we get literally that too. So you can kind of see that it's just the fact that it's still kind of a heartless approach to be like, we gotta have to be rid of this and suppress this. And also at the same time, Magneto is like, you look at what mankind on its own is, what atrocities it's capable of, and what it's still been doing to mutants. Uh, it's less risky if we just wipe them all out. But then you have Xavier talking about. There's still a lot of wonderful people, and you'd be you'd be wiping out a bunch of good people who support us and have helped build the world that we live in, and just mm-hmm. that's one of the things I admire most about this. That and that's kind of constant in the series as a whole. And how, so, yeah, go ahead. My biggest thing that helped me latch on to the X Men franchise was how much it actually mirrored society. Yeah, and oh, what was going on politically without actually putting a specific race or gender? It's you can to, tie it to like racial or sexual uh, movements, but it's still they still manage to make it its own thing. But correct. you can kind of see that, like you know, there are protests, there are uh, you know politicians and companies on opposite sides. There's a lot of back and forth struggles in these things. Like that's just kind of a universal human issue and this is mm-hmm. adding kind of a super well not even supernatural because it's, it's based you could still say it's rooted in science that the idea is that the mutants may be the next step of human evolution which is right. ties into magneto's idea of might as well weed out what's not evolved but and, it's, um, it's kind of a universal one, one thing that i really really liked is i liked that the first film actually opened with magneto instead of opening with Xavier or Cyclops or Wolverine because you immediately got the idea that Wolverine, I mean, excuse me, that you got the idea that Magneto is not a shitty person for the sake of being a shitty person. No, no, that's what I'm saying. He has, (laughs) he has, he has motive. Yeah. He's got a lot of motive and it, it, those roots are deep. Yes, though it has turned him into a cold-hearted person, which I'll, I'll touch on some of his. There's one action in uh, the third movie that I was like, "That is that is cruel." But uh, yeah, I think that's what. It did. And just the fact, like, let's talk to some of the main characters and actors, because um, now were you into so you were into X Men before the movie started? Absolutely. Was was were a lot of people saying before they confirmed it that they wanted Patrick Stewart for Xavier? I don't know. Um, I don't even know if that was a fan choice. But that was the best choice. <laughs> it was a good choice. And I still say to this day, he would have been a perfect Mr. Freeze. If you're uh, thinking about, like, compare, like, the animated series version of Freeze to what we got with Schwarzenegger. Hmm. He's um, a bald but kind of dignified figure. If you want bald and dignified, it's hard to that. talk Patrick Stewart. 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can he, definitely see Patrick Stewart being Mr. Freeze. Yeah, he's too old um, now, my only, but back, my you know, only uh, downside to that is that Patrick Stewart is a little old. No, I'm I, I'm talking about back in the '90s. Still, right after Star Trek, he he could have done it. Usually, got some stunt men for the uh, action parts. But yeah, obviously now it's 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 too late. But yeah. Um, and, yeah. and to be fair, and you know we've got a lot of they've got a lot, be able to get a lot of mileage out of him with uh, with X. He is a great a great fit for that kind of wise, but still both caring and both trying to be cautious and logical too. Which absolutely, I guess I guess what I know about Picard, I guess maybe not quite the caring, but still a good hearted person. So it kind of makes sense <laughs> that they they would get him because after he blew up with Star Trek, and same goes for Ian McKellen as Magneto because goddamn. Mm-hmm. Someone who has to bring a lot of gravitas and just, you know, someone who's angry but with a reserved mannerism about it. Also, I just love the fact that the, that the apparently the experience of these movies have made those two BFFs. Have you ever right. seen like the photos and stuff yes. they do together? Like they just love yeah, to hang yep. out. Yeah. Um, pretty wonderful. Um, I, I really love – one thing that I think has always astounded the fans of X-Men was – especially with the first three movies – was how well they were able to pair these actors as these fictional cartoon characters that look so similar. Um, they, I mean, you know, Patrick Stewart as as Professor Xavier, uh, Ian as Magneto, Anna Paquin as Rogue, uh, Hugh Jackman as as Logan. I mean, these yeah. actors. It's almost like they were born. To be these this, people from the X-Men, X-Men is franchise. what made Hugh Jackman's career. Like he was not that big a name. You probably viewed as a risk back when they cast him as Wolverine. Absolutely, but obviously it's paid off in spades. Even though that period may be over, though never say never. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, though there are others that I think people complain about. Like I, I, I don't know that much about X-Men. Like I said, and I do like Halle Berry, but she is way too young to be what I get. Storm is like because. What I have seen in the cartoon, she's supposed to be kind of a more of a middle-aged, almost maternal figure in the same way as X. At least, like, someone, someone you get the experience would be a little more experienced. And just Halle Berry just looks a little too young and almost... You know I, actually, I actually felt Halle Berry was perfect. I thought Anna Paken wasn't okay. old enough. Oh, it's, how old is Rogue supposed to be in, like, the base... I guess, yeah, in the, in the 90s cartoon, she was, she was more of an adult. Yeah, like... She kind like of adopted the uh, storm. They kind Cyclops, of made her into the. Rogue, they kind of made. They, they were all adults. Yeah, like in the movies, they kind of put Rogue in the role you'd see like Kitty Pride or Jubilee, like the right. teen, the rookie. Right. Like, we're, the, right. We're, her introduction to all of this is ours as well. Um, right. So I guess that was an interesting choice, but they still do some interesting things with it, like how they some of the stuff in the first movie, like how they deal with her absorption abilities, like that great, that really effective first scene where she's kissing a boy and she like fucks him up and she's like, "Don't touch me!" Like. That's right. Good. Oh, one of my favorite parts. She wakes up Logan just instinctually. He stabs her, and then right. she knows what to do and touches him to to peel herself. Mm-hmm. Like again, uh, like, the idea of how some of these abilities can play off each other is pretty clever. And I think um, the only way, and I know I know why they did it at, from a writing standpoint. The only way that they could not make Rogue into a adult. God form was to make her younger before yeah. she actually touched Captain Marvel, 
blase 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 like in, that's in the comics like cartoons she could print. fly too yeah because she what happened was in the comic books and actually they explained it in the 1992 uh animated x-men uh she got in a fight with captain marvel ah and she held on to those to the flying to her for way too long and so uh rogue permanently got her flight and superhuman strength okay yeah. permanently that's very different captain what we got marvel here because she, fair, she held for like a half an hour yeah to be fair they probably didn't have the right to captain marvel right because obviously and marvel so, has that now <laughs> and as far as a story plot goes she couldn't be this super no. overpowered that wouldn't fit man. her introduction aspect here i can see where they made some right. changes there um and just some other things i want to talk about uh oh i remember one thing i was not expecting uh visually is to be grossed out by what happens to Sandra kelly uh because they oh yeah because uh, they, they, they their plan is we're going to use this machine and rogue's powers to infect everybody with like mutant powers but then you see what happens to him you're like that is not a good idea yeah and like, the humans just end up dying well the only one they use it on because like the first part like he realized he can like squish his body through the body bars and right that threw me off for some reason i was like oh my god what is this and then his death where he basically just melts into liquid is like oh uh but it's effective right. um and you, it's, i like how they kind of make a little it's, it's actually a little and um what's the word not ambitious uh ambiguous uh where his allegiances are lying by the end because he's just basically saying mm-hmm. the i'm kind of glad i'm not dying alone but you still know if he loves mm-hmm. mutants and obviously he is no longer in state to say so but also the other thing i want to talk about from a de- from production standpoint this film i think they gave it a smaller budget than the others just because they weren't you know obviously especially considering the time they weren't sure and it mm-hmm. does feel a little smaller than the others especially in the climax you get to the ends of two and three and just how bombastic and huge everything is uh this is a little more muted they they played it very smart. They put the effects where there should have been effects. Yeah, with the powers. Maybe the not so much effects. the set pieces. Right. Right. Also, and nice they, oh, they used the powers and used the effects. Um, they kind of condensed them. And so they made sure that there was enough dialogue where you weren't, okay, use their powers, use their powers. I want to see things happen and stuff and I want Storm to like make a hurricane and all this other stuff. And it was just more of the subtleties of the superpowers. And then, you know, when something big needed to happen, then it happened. Yeah. Um, and just one other thing I, I want to say that's cute. And then if you if you have anything else to say, you can, but then we can move on. Um, mm-hmm. so an interesting production note. Do you know who two of the co-writers were for this? I do not. Uh, Joss Whedon who obviously got more closely tied to other Marvel products. Right. Uh, the one that makes me, I find interesting, is David Hayter. Do you know who that is? David Hayter, yes. The voice of Solid Snake up till Metal Gear 5, Solid 5. Um, and he's, he's written some other stuff, too. I actually met him at AwesomeCon this year. Nice guy. Um, oh, nice. And uh, he also, I believe, he 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 wrote one of the rough drafts for X2 as well. I think after that he was no longer involved. But yeah, he is not just an actor. He's a screenwriter. Um, which is interesting. Um, so, I mean, I know I've followed Joss Whedon for years, and he is such an, a phenomenal writer. And as much to to a certain extent, X Men, the first X Men, doesn't really hold well to time, but it holds well to everything that they set up. And Joss Whedon, I think, does a phenomenal job with being a catalyst. 
for someone else to someone else to step in. He was like, look, I'm not going to claim this 10 year long project. However, I will jumpstart it. And whoever can come behind me and run with it. He still has history of kind of behind the scenes punch up. Apparently he helped with the uh, script for the first Captain America, first Avenger, Mm -hmm. uh, but didn't receive credits. And of course, you know, we know what's going on with Justice League now. And I believe it's still understood that Zack Snyder will receive sole directing credit. Mm. So just interesting how that works. But is there anything else you want to say about this or do you want to move on to X2? Onward and upward. Yeah, I think this is where things got better. This was both, I'd say, a bigger and better film. Uh, just some interesting more comments. And granted, I didn't re- skim through this quite as much as the others, so I kind of remember mm-hmm. like bullet points. Uh, I will get this out of the way because I feel like this one and three are the most guilty of. I know something like uh, if you're a fan of Cyclops in the comics, most people were not happy with how the movies treated him in the original trilogy. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's, he's basically supposed to be the, one of like one of their leaders. Uh, here, it, this became the Xavier and Wolverine headed kind of thing um, in, the, in the original trilogy with, with Storm and Jean Grey to a lesser degree. Uh, but I feel like this, even I noticed like the fact that he's not in it much and then he's gone for half the movie and then comes back brainwashed till the end. Like, yeah, if you, if I was, if I cared about Cyclops, this would piss me off. So because I have read and watched X-Men till I'm blue in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyclops goes through shit. So he is a missed opportunity, how they handled him here. Actually, I thought they handled it, handled Cyclops appropriately. I just think it went just a hair too far. I feel like with each movie, it, it, it would go a little more too far with what they did with him. Um, well, with it being only the second, I think like the line was crossed in how broken Cyclops was. I think that's something that could have happened in X three, where Jean Grey became like broken and evil, and she became yep. the Phoenix, and we'll then Cyclops is very emotional about it. But with X two, I think that was a little too early to make him such a broken Boy Scout. I have heard people complain that people who don't like Cyclops is that he falls to that victim. I always hear people compare him to either Superman or Leonardo the Ninja Turtles. Like, if you're going to be the straight, like, good moral leader, you're usually one of the least interesting characters. But, I mean, I still wouldn't have minded them putting some new spins on him to make him more interesting. But, again, it wasn't a deal breaker. I just think – I think this movie was where I noticed it the most because X3, at least you're not thinking about him as much past a certain point. Um, right. But the, but the thing, but the thing with Cyclops is he is this – he's the Captain America of the X-Men. He is the Superman of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. But the problem is he is very much human and he is very much still a Boy Scout at heart. Yeah. And you know Which... he didn't get a childhood. His parents were lost and he's fighting this war. He's like essentially this – a general, the the second in command of this war, and really, he's not ready for it emotionally, yeah. and so he'll do it. He 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 knows he's called to do it, but you know he really just wants to get married, settle down, have kids, be preferably with you Jean. know, yeah. He he wants to be with his Jean Grey and. You know, everyone else can do whatever they want to do, and he wants to, you know, move off to Minnesota on a farmhouse and live life. But he knows he has to 
fight this fight. And so when the one thing that's driving him to move forward in this war is broken or is dying or is mentally unstable, a.k.a. for all of those things, Jean Grey, then he becomes broken. Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole thing behind Cyclops is he's either this super awesome general that leads all the X-Men into battle or he's a really broken boy and emotional and it's just like dude please yeah pull your pants up and move on the movies kind of choose to go for neither for the most part and just make put us to the sidelines because i think even um what james marsden he said he he, like he's expressed disappointment with it but there's still other stuff to talk about with x2 because i want to say is this like the only one of the main trilogy where you could argue the main villain is a human rather than a mutant because of striker Yes. Like, Magneto's still a problem in this, but most of the real shit that goes down is because, like, I mean, he, he infiltrates the, the mansion and tries to kidnap a bunch of kids. Yep. Like, it's he's doing some brutal shit. This is where you start getting and, more into more of the, the bad side of the military in this world. Right. And this is the whole thing with X-Men is that the X-Men fought a lot of wars on a lot of different uh a lot of different sides. They had Magneto. Mm-hmm. They had... Uh, you know, Phoenix from within yep. their own ranks. Which they had the military, they had the president, they had all of these different people that pretty much hated. Yeah. Well, I know that the, I guess you're talking about this, the president in X2 and 3, actually, he's he's a little more tolerant of mutants, but he's still yes. going to be very, he's still they, someone who's trying to be a, very there's cautious. There's a point where they change presidents. Oh, yeah, it's a different guy in the third one. The second one, was he against them? Uh... Because I remembered the first scene, I rewatched the first scene with uh, uh, the assassination attempt from Nightcrawler, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can't have helped the president's mind. The third one, yeah, the third one, we get the whole Beast stuff where it's like, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you are talking about like they're like I said, that's when things are. Like, it's a very complex um, hierarchy of allegiances and opinions, and that's what makes it right. like, a very like this is a conflict that cannot be easily or quickly solved. It's not like the Avengers where, you know, are there aliens? Let's go fight them. Yep. X-Men oh, have dead. to fight There's Ultron. everything. He's dead. Yeah, right. Like they have to keep throwing different villains at, at, at you um, mm-hmm. or even just build them up for a while like Thanos before they get their time to shine really even. This is like you do get a lot of different villains, but you also get recurring – like Magneto obviously. And just they're still this – they're all united by this one issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a kind of a clever way really, to keep the, the plot X-Men, going. Really, the X-Men are all about survival. They don't have just one common enemy. They fight the government. They fight each other. They yep. fight other mutants. Yep. They fight machines. Yep. There, there's a whole bunch of fights that happen in, in the X-Men just overall. Yeah. And me, I think I, this was the, the part that, okay, the first time we we fought our common enemy now it's the government and that was a mm-hmm. whole different side of things yeah and then three do you want to get to uh last dan let's do, want, do it do, so okay there's nothing else you want to say about x2 i just want to make sure not at all let's do it okay so i i watched this for the first time on friday and mm-hmm. this is actually kind of a pleasant surprise for me because this movie whenever i hear it brought up it has a pretty bad reputation and i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna lie i enjoyed it i loved x3 um as okay good opposed to a lot now of course x-men does hold a very dear place in my heart um i probably got an eye roll from christopher i don't know are you talking about the first one <laughs> uh no x3 uh yeah no i I, like, I would put it on par with x2 for the most part 
like I I loved X three. Most people did not like X three, um, but so from the most part, what I understand uh, most people do not like X three about is that Jean Grey did not turn into the Phoenix that they remember. It was so oh, yeah. far. I know the there were some big changes to that, and that's actually that's what the next prequel movie is going to be. Is they're going to try and do it again and be more faithful. My thing is this, okay? Um, you know, films can only go so far within the one and a half to two and a half hours that they have to tell a story, right? And we've never introduced any kind of aliens. We never introduced any kind of galactic beings no, they had no in they had. any of the – none of those things happened. I know so, I did read for a and, while there were some executives at Fox who really hated that idea. But maybe now at some point we'll we'll see. But my thing is uh, the Phoenix does actually make Jean Grey crazy. Well, in the comics? Yes. Because <laughs> so, the idea is it's basically a split personality because there are moments where you see Jean Grey come back out and she's horrified about what's going on. That is, that's exactly what happens when the phoenix takes over her body. There are two personalities that live in this mm-hmm. body host of Jean Grey. The only yeah. difference is they took the alien aspect out of it. That's oh, all that happened. Oh, the phoenix was caused by aliens in the comics? So in the comic books um, – the Phoenix is a galactic deity entity that essentially helps the the universe start life or end life. Mm-hmm. So she's this co- the Phoenix is this cosmic force. Uh, so first of all, I'm sorry. Does it like possess Gene or something? Essentially, that's what happens: is that Gene gets possessed by this galactic deity. Okay. Yeah, they, they did change that then. This was basically yeah, a, a setup ver- of the fact that Xavier said this was an aspect when he was first training her that she he taught her to suppress, but the experience of near death uh, awakened it. Right. I don't, I don't thing, mind that, but I guess I could see why someone I, I, would. I don't mind it at all. It was a very good explanation, and it's still to some point held true yeah. to the character. So, I mean, the of inverse Jesus. is I actually – I don't mind talking about another – much belying third entry. I actually don't mind Spider-Man 3 that much, but I remember still finding a little jarring when they touched on, oh, a space alien symbiote um, and mm-hmm. Sandman in general. Like, it felt like it went more exaggerated in the first two in its villains, and that, that was a little weird. I feel like this could have been the same way. So maybe they were in the right, at, at least as this series goes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so some, some other aspects of it, because uh, this also, this adds even more to the dilemma because of the uh, concept of the the vaccine that suppresses the mutant gene and just the can of yep. worms that opens and i love the fact that we get beast in this played by kelsey Grammer. Um, yeah you want the most proper man to play the most proper x-man get get fraser uh yep and again you were talking about so i guess yeah there's this new president who is bringing him into his council to get his you know get a mutant thoughts in this whole thing and like there's so many parts of the touch like you know like things are only gonna get worse and like what kind of like social drama this is going to uh, this announcement is going to unleash um and also i like the fact that go ahead did you say something now now speaking of character changes you were talking about beast um one thing that beast is has always been was uh, a literary and a scientist yeah he's like the he's the scholar of the x-men pretty much 
Right. And then, so what was a little bit more jarring to me was that he became a politician or a lawyer. Yeah, well, he became a representative, kind of. Yeah, um, slash diplomat. But I mean, at so least the prequels was, touch. At least the prequels touched on that he started in, with his, with his roots in science. Right. I mean, it kind of makes right. sense that if anybody well, that, was going to be a representative, it would be him or like Charles or Jean Grey. And I think since he was introduced in the Last Stand, that would have been a prime opportunity for for Beast's Beast's science side to to come out versus a political side yeah that had to wait till first class and and to me that didn't make sense when you have this cure it would have been a very good easy writing plot to have beast toily working in his science lab working to reverse engineer the cure the cure yeah i mean i think I kind of viewed it, view that as like he knew like this is something bigger than just him, and they had to they had to discuss all angles. Because again, like I'm talking about this, it's like the idea of that this whole conflict is such a complex thing that even him doing something like that could cause even more issues. Um, but also, just and just also touch something I like is going forward to the stage of Gray. I feel like X three is the biggest example of trying to show that there are still people of authority who are somewhat on this, some not completely uh, uncaring. Because you have the subplot of Angel in this. Who is you know, his, his dad being this executive who finds out and is the one who like motivates the thing to happen. But as more goes on, it's less that like I hate mutants and more like he is well aware of just all the horrible stuff that's been happening to them, and he sees suppressing it as you know stopping them from prejudice. And there's the fact that he's saying like I can you can like he's saying to his he doesn't disown his sons or anything. He's like this is how you can get a better life. This is how you can not be hated and and that kind of stuff. But then the son finally realizes no, that's the life you want me to have, and I got to make this decision in the end. And that's kind of clever. Yeah, um, I've always disliked Angel. I know nothing about him, but at least he's 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 still kind of a relatively minor character. He's just he's used as the you know ambassador of of using the of using the vaccine and uh, um, some other stuff. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else I was. Remember. I'm going. I'm looking through the uh, plot. Uh, I oh, I know like some of the the thing I would always hear people pissed off about about uh, this was like we going back to Cyclops, uh, killing him like a half hour in, and uh, yeah, people were so angry about that. I remember, especially the fact I, that we don't really see his on screen death. Even though judging from what we see Jean doing later on, we know how she how he died. The fact that there's no corpse anywhere and just the glasses. Yeah, she disintegrated him. I also have to say, I re- so my backstory with X Men: The Last Stand, again, constantly being a fan of the X Men series, and I was in high school for X Men Two, and then X Men Three was coming out as I was graduating high school, mm-hmm. and um, we actually, as my high school, our class theme was x-men and we knew the entire school the entire graduating class was going to go to the theater and watch x-men last stand because that was our graduating theme and how'd that go and i i remember i i yelled i yelled so loud in the theater because i was so upset that Cyclops died. And I'm not a fan of Cyclops, but I do know that he's always there. It, it, it also feels like salt in the wound after hoping, like, maybe he'll finally get a spotlight in this. Right, right. Like, the movie just so do it was, not care it was about very, him. It was very, um, 
Well, like, you know, Wolverine has always kind of stolen the limelight of X-Men. Yeah. But my point was Cyclops is always there. So there's always a, a switch between limelights of Cyclops and Wolverine, Cyclops and Wolverine. And quite honestly, I hate them both yeah. equally. <laughs> Maybe that's why we haven't talked about I could about care less much. about either of them. Do you like Hugh Jackman's um, performances, though? I love Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but I could also take Hugh Jackman as something else. So <laughs> I just Wolverine is just not a selling point to me when it comes to X-Men. I would much rather yeah. see Storm, Jubilee, super-powered Rogue, uh, give me more Charles Rogue's Xavier. Really give me in this movie too. Absolutely. Uh, I think always they kind of Rogue build up more the Iceman and Kitty Pride stuff. Yes. Oh, Kitty Pride. Give me Bobby all day long. Give me Colossus all day long. I just don't Colossus care about they, they, Cyclops. Another issue is they throw. I'll, I'll get my two other issues out of the way here. They throw a lot, like so many new moons at you that a lot of them don't really feel like they get enough time to shine. Um, right. Even even really iconic ones like Juggernaut and, and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Also, now I think one thing that helps that like makes me not like the X-Men movies quite as much as the MCU is that I love the MCU style of humor and X-Men did not go for humor quite as much. Uh, and honestly, some of the jokes they do during the climax are pretty bad. Are um, pretty bad. They, one in particular the... that I think I knew about before I even saw the movies because it was such a so like tone deaf that they had to have Juggernaut say, I'm the Juggernaut bitch. Like, right. A few things can take you out of a movie as much as that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, they it, just it was... did that because of the meme. There, there are there are a couple things that will take you out of a movie, and it's you know Juggernaut saying I'm the Juggernaut bitch. It's Morgan Freeman in Wanted saying Kill this motherfucker. Like there's certain things that just should not happen mm-hmm. because they they're so I know we're, left field. I know it's not a joke. We're gonna get into I think the most hated character change in Wolverine Origins. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, oh boy we'll get there we'll get there yeah but i also remember we'll I, I mean, just one-off jokes like um when beast is trying to do a, a quote in the middle of a battle and then he just goes like oh you get the picture and starts playing yeah right like, right that's not clicking guys you, this is not your forte um yeah no i think this might have my favorite climax of the three original films outside of those jokes like it just gets so you already have that crazy stuff with the bridge um, then you have that finally that big horde battle, like the X Men versus Ma- Magneto's army, um, and you know capping it off with Gene with Phoenix letting loose, and that is like epic. I feel just um, the one thing that I will say that I kind of really appreciated in all of the films um, that we did not talk about yet, and then we can move on to the next rendition yeah. of X Men. I have one other thing is, I want to say about, it, but then we'll move on. Okay is how they changed and they matured over the the series physically like the different hairstyles mm-hmm. the change of clothes is something that you don't get to see within the comics um or even the cartoons because the cartoons you have the character and they wear this hairstyle and they have their uniform and that's it but i loved seeing Storm's new hairstyle, love see, seeing Jean Grey's new hairstyle, and I liked how they interacted, like Storm talking about 
talking to B saying, oh, I love what you've done with your hair. And he's like back at you. And, you know, it was a very nice play on, you know, these people are growing up yeah. in front of you. I, I think I appreciated Storm in this one more than the first two. Um, especially because you know they have to set up the fact that she inherits the mentorship role at the academy. Because right. the, the other thing, um, Professor X dies in this movie. Um, a very drawn out and brutal disintegration by by Jean. And yep. uh, I actually do like also the acting of Wolverine and, and Storm in this. Because there, there are a lot of other instances, including at the end of this movie, where you're getting over the top, staring at the sky going, no! And this is more just collapsing crying like something more realistic and not too drawn out like yeah i buy this even though you know the after credits thing is kind of a cop-out of how like oh that comatose guy you mentioned for no reason i guess it was his twin brother and he's that's him now all right to be fair so like only one of the movies has really dealt with that new uh xavier which is day to your past in a smaller role so it's Mm -hmm. that's less egregious to me than it would have been if you know we got an x-men 4 and you're just like yeah good to go with it um Mm -hmm. okay anything else you want to say about three Nope. Oh, I will say I'm reading here. Uh, James Marsden was actually completely fine with how what they did with Cyclops because I think he had basically accepted what a small role at this point, and he said it felt better for the movie since you were introducing so many characters. It's also yeah, funny I, that I, I when I think of James Marsden, I think of Enchanted because that was the first thing I saw him in. Mm. You know, do you know what I'm, I'm talking okay about? With you see that Easter movie? eggs? Yes, I do. Cyclops I do, is like a cartoon singing fairy tale prince. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty good. I'm okay uh, with Easter eggs as other characters, but. You know, when you start focusing on too many people, then I'm yeah. I'm overwhelmed. Oh, also, I'll say a clever thing is, you know, one mutant I saw was like, I guess he's called Multiple Man. Um, that Magneto hires when he breaks out of the of the mm-hmm. the homeless jailbreak. I love that fake out with him, where it's like they're in the camera, like, man, it's it's they're all there. This is like, are they trapping them? What is their plan? And it turns out it's all him. And I'm like, that's smart. Oh, and yes, before we get, I think um, this one has the most ice cold Magneto moment, at least as McKellen. When they're saving Mystique, she gets the cure and becomes, you know, normal naked lady, and he's just like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not, you can't be part of our cause anymore." Like, he's right. white yeah. man, woman, and just because of that, bye. Like, that's that's cruel. Yeah, um, Magneto's all about his mutants, and if you're not a <laughs> which mutant, which makes it very cathartic have- at the end. They stab him and he's like, how's it feel to be one of them now? And he is just like the one time you see McKellen turn to a scared, doddering old man and that because he's lost everything he's ever about. Um, though obviously the literally the last second of the movie is kind of the, to indicate how that can change. Also, Inception totally ripped off his last shot <laughs> this movie. Ah, uh, yes. Chess piece, <laughs> like the last second moves like a millimeter just so you know, yeah, it's going to wear off in time. But um, I guess we can move on now. Run! 